everybody. Welcome to LocoCast, episode four, Freedom in a Box. I am your host, Rick Harding, here with our good buddy, uh, Craig Maloney. How you doing, Craig? Good, Rick. It's been, a, it's been a long time. It's been about a month, hasn't it? Yeah, did you find your microphone? Did you figure out where it went? I, I figured out where the microphone went. Um, I, I did have a short, brief interlude trying to get the microphone to work on the Asus EPC, which was pretty much full of fail. I don't think it's quite up to the task quite yet, so... Uh-oh. Yeah, no, as everyone has probably realizes, we've been out of uh, sync here for a little bit. Um, we were due to do one uh, a couple weeks ago, but we had Pi Ohio, which was a lot of fun. And then, yeah, and then after that, I decided to get sick, which made any chance of recording anything pretty much not going to happen because you guys don't want to hear me sniffle and blow my nose. Oh, I'm sure it's a lot of fun. Oh, joy. So... Um, I'm getting over that, though. So, speaking of Pi, Ohio, I wanted to bring that up because it was kind of a big deal. It uh, We were gone for the weekend, had a lot of fun, uh, good conference uh, down in Columbus, Ohio that they've had. This was their fourth one, I believe, and they're talking more than uh, 100, uh, 150 people, which is uh, a good number for just a small, community-driven, you know, Python, single-language-specific conference, I think. Yeah, and it, it was a lot of fun. Um a lot of really good talks there. A lot of good people to talk to as well. And we took Mark Graham with us and uh, met up with uh, Ben Rush, Shout, and a uh, bunch of other folks like Alex Gaynor and uh, I don't know who else was down there. Well, of course, you know, you've got the locos, uh, the locals there. You know, you've got um, the the ones who run it together. And, of course, I'm going to um, blank on her name now all of a sudden. Catherine Devlin. Catherine, that's who we got. Oh, How could you forget? Uh, well, it's getting late, so it's past my bit. Just, just put your shame face on right now, okay? So Catherine, <laughs> Catherine, them they they put together a real nice uh, deal there. They had a uh, a corner of uh, OSU's um, I forget what the name of the building is. Their central student union student union building, yep. uh, up on the third floor or so, and and that was it was good. It had lots of room, uh, some good talks. Um, I basically I put a big summary up on my blog. I wrote a nice detailed like which talks I went to, what I thought of, and and things um, at uh, blog.mitechie.com. But one of the interesting things was this was probably the first year where I felt like I kind of gave more than I got from a conference. Um, I, we got, I got to run or, you know, kind of start up a couple of open spaces, which went really well. And it seems kind of, the open space thing is really interesting at these conferences, how, you know, you kind of go for the talks, but you actually sometimes can get more out of the open spaces than you can out of the scheduled uh, events. Right. Uh, well, especially a couple of the ones that you did, uh, were pretty cool. I know the fabric one was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, that was fun. That that one, I think I walked out of that one realizing more than anything ever in my life that there are different tools for different scaled operations in life. Well, uh, it's it's system administration. You get ten people in a room and you have fifteen different opinions on how to do it. But no, it was it was definitely some good stuff, and I know I walked out with a couple of good tips. So uh, I encourage everyone to check out the videos are up. Uh, they've got all the talks recorded and up on. The Python Miro community, um, which is at python.mirocommunity.org, under a Pi Ohio 2010 category. And I haven't had a chance really to go through many of them yet. There are a couple that I know I really wanted to check out. So um, definitely go and check out the talks. And um, I wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, Chris Everest, uh, one of my former coworkers who showed up too. Oh, uh, yeah? Really cool to meet him face to face for the first time. That's right. Very cool. So, yeah, it's nice to bring people together. Ah! 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 
so next up, what I wanted to bring up, we had a, a long talk about this proposal to have an Ubuntu-specific Stack Exchange instance brought up. And, um, you know, talk about how the forums weren't a good place to get help anymore, and Ubuntu answers were not up to the task. And so I think you and I kind of agreed that the, the best thing to do would be to fix Ubuntu answers, but they want to try the Stack uh, Exchange, and that is now up and live. So um, go look that up and check that out. And if you've got any questions, or better yet, if you are one that might be able to provide some answers, definitely go check out the new Ubuntu Stack Exchange site. And if you have any additional opinions on it after having seen it, uh, drop us a line as well at localcast.net. And uh, I don't know. Have you have you checked it out at all? No. I... You know, I, I honestly, I, I'm I'm kind of staying away from it based on principle, right? It's kind of hard for me to argue against it and then go and like rush and try to make it a big success, um, which is probably a little bit shameful of me. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, it, I, it was interesting to read the comments about people who who wanted the Stack Exchange environment and those who were like, yeah, like us, who were saying that the Stack Exchange environment was just yet another bucket to throw things in. And what was interesting, too, is that once the Stack Exchange stuff came about for Ubuntu, then the rest of the Linux community said, well, hey, you know, what about this Ubuntu tribalism? Let's throw out a Linux Stack Exchange, which gets back into the whole, well, why is Ubuntu all, you know, nice and successful with all this stuff? Why can't we have a good time and, and fun as well? Yeah, I... I think people don't don't have reasonable expectations. I, I mean, if they're having a, you know... They're trying. They're having enough time handling the mass of input in the Ubuntu forums. They're moving to the exchange system, the, the Stack Exchange system. I, I don't understand how throwing more and more and the single, you know, instance of this helps anybody. The nice thing about the Stack Exchange setup is that you can get a different exchange for different interests and groups. Like there's one that is for, like for cooking, and there's one for you know. Um, I just was amazed to see that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what that's when you think about it, that makes sense, right? I mean, the whole point is to kind of keep things filtered out enough to where it makes sense to go to the site and handle things. And I understand the whole like anti-tribalism thing, but you know what? The Ubuntu community is large. They will definitely not have a problem swamping and handling, you know, uh, a single site. And having, you know, for instance, this list here, Solaris, FreeBSD, NetBSD, OpenBSD, Unix, OSX, Linux, Red Hat, Fedora, Ubuntu, Debian, Mandrake, Mint, blah, 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 blah. blah. I mean, are you kidding me if you brought all those people underneath the same site? Um, again, we're right back to being useless because you can't find anything. It's, it's too much noise. Right. Um, and that, that gets to a point that I wanted to make, too, is that Ubuntu is significantly different enough from a lot of the other distributions out there. For, say, instance, setting up Skype. Under Ubuntu, all I have to do is go over to the Software Center, click on a few buttons, and I've got Skype. If I wanted to do the same thing under Fedora, is it quite as easy? I don't know. I don't think it's quite the yeah. same. Exactly. If I saw a question that I knew the answer was, go grab this PPA from Launchpad, I'm not going to be able to provide that as an answer to someone on Red Hat or Fedora or OpenBSD. So um, while I, I appreciate the anti-tribalism, let's all be friends and be one big community thing, uh, practicality has to step in there. So I've got to say, Miguel um, Diacaza there, who was the one that posted this and is trying to get the uh, the non-tribal version of Stack Overflow instance up and running. Uh, good luck to you, but I got to say that I think you're a little bit wrong here. <laughs> Just put it on the line there. <laughs> you know, well, I, you know, I, that's my thing, right? I guess I, I'm the one that says it's wrong, right? I, I thought the original Stack Exchange was a little wrong, and but hey, maybe good luck and more power to you, I suppose. 
Right. I mean, I was wrong before when people were making GNOME and KDE uh, variants of CDE, so surprise me. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pulling up the site now, and I'm looking at the Ubuntu uh, beta stack exchange here, and uh, it seems like there's some good an- some an- well, not good answers, but there's uh, not ma- not too many with no answers at all, so I guess there's that's kind of good. There's What's some that? flow going on. Yeah, there's, you know, they got 600 questions, 1,600 answers, 96% are considered answered with 1,300 users. So those are some good numbers, I definitely think. Um, and you got to figure, this thing's only been around for a couple weeks here. I think as more and more people find this information through Google searches for their problems and, and things, I think, it, you know, it'll be good. It has a potential to be good. That's, you know, that's the truth. Um, we'll just see if, uh, in a year from now, if it's uh, still maintainable and usable. All right, so next up, I wanted to bring up, this was a really interesting topic. So, you know, DebCoff went on, which is the Debian conference. They had a, uh, a thing going on in New York from August 1st through 7th, and this is uh, their big shindig. They get developers from all over the place come down, and basically it's like an Ubuntu developer summit, but just for Debian. And they've been doing it for a long time. I'm sure and, they would say the other way around. <laughs> yes, I think you're probably right. <laughs> the Ubuntu Developer Summit is probably somewhat modeled after the DevCom uh, model for sure. Um, and one thing in particular kind of caught my eye was there's this uh, presentation uh, given by Eben, Eben, Eben Moglen. All right. Yes. I'm awful with names, so you have to forgive me if I, if I crush your name or whatever here. Um, gave a talk about basically... F- Freedom in the internet, right? How everyone's using all these web-based services for their lives that just run them on them from, you know, Google Docs through, um, you know, Facebook and Twitter all the way, you know, to just things like, you know, backup services like um, uh, the, the Carbonite backup service and whatnot. And the, the, the idea was was that none of the stuff is free. You have no freedom. You know, the the ideals behind free and open source software kind of fall to the wind here when it comes to these web-based services. And as you get to the point where a whole computer is nothing but a web, you know, system, let's, you know, see Chrome OS coming up in the future, um, that it's just a horrible situation where we're taking a big step backwards in our freedom. And so the idea comes about that what we need is to put together what they're calling a freedom box. And a freedom box is a pre-set up server with a whole bunch of services set up for you that you can run and maintain that runs on real low-end hardware, possibly ARM, you know, CPU, chipset kind of stuff that has all your data in it. And you can take it with you anywhere and you plug it in and voila, you have your server with all your services and all your data with yourself. And I thought this is a really interesting idea. And so I went to kind of look, check out more information. Um, and it's a very, very early idea. But, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think, like, of all the things I use, could I fit my life onto some little ARM-based server that I carry around with me? Yeah, I, I took some interest into this as well. I mean, the, the basic principle of it, I think I can really get behind because I think it would be very nice to have something where you have a box that you just plug in and suddenly you have internet telephony. You have uh, some kind of a mail server or something like that. The only problem that I really have with it, though, is that it seems to me that most of, this, most of the, the backlash that is out there against some of these, non, these proprietary systems that are out there is that these 
proprietary systems exist and that people use them. So you have stuff like your Facebook, your Dropboxes. Um, some would even say Ubuntu One, uh, Skype, which we're using right now. And while I think that it's a noble cause, I wonder sometimes if the free software version of these these products is really up to the task. I don't. I, have you played with any of the VoIP solutions that are out there? No, not really. And I think that's right to the heart of the matter is is the practicality. Like today, could we put together this box with what we have available to us? And I think most of us would realistically be able to say uh, no. Um, but I do think that it's a good goal. And I wonder if it might be something that set up like a roadmap of a to-do list and perhaps draw interest from people, you know, into these areas uh, where we fall short of open source software. You know, we do have things like, you know, StatusNet, Identica for your Twitter alternative with free and open source software. And I think, you know what, that that's a good app that can could go portable like that, that you could run yourself on your own little box. But really, if we talk about things like, you know, your Dropboxes, your Facebook photo sharing kind of stuff, you know, even things as complex as like email and things, I just don't know that those things are ever going to be, or not anytime soon, you know, like on a little box that you can carry around with you. I don't know if you if you were ever into the Christian metal scene. Um, I was very much in the Christian metal scene coming out of college. And at the radio station that I worked at, they had a poster. And that poster had, if you like such and such band, you'll really like, and they would insert this this Christian band into there. So it would be something like, if you, real, if you like uh, Slayer or Metallica, then you'll like Deliverance. It's like, well, they're kind of different music styles than that. And I think that's to the point of this is, yeah, and, you know, whenever Diaspora manages to drop out whatever it is that they're socially uh, keeping behind the curtain, the kimono, whatever you want to call it, are they going to be up to the same type of task as a Facebook? And I don't think that we're quite at that point yet. Now, what the part of this that really interests me, though, that I think could be really practical is it, it seems like a perfect uh, use case for peer-to-peer kind of services you know a lot of the things we're talking about like your backup of your data or if you were going to do some kind of photo sharing kind of things it seems just perfect for you know encrypted data spread out across a you know distributed p2p system uh so that you know you have your box and you get some of your backup so across everybody else's box and and i think the the the, the community would you know seem like a really good fit for some of that stuff so i'm very intrigued i think it has a lot of potential and i encourage you guys to go check out they have a wiki setup where they're basically looking for feedback information in all honesty they're really looking for some kind of leadership i think the ideas out there but this is a kind of broad idea, the, the big vision that really needs someone who's skilled with this stuff to kind of take the reins and and drive something like this forward. Um, needs well, a really someone who can also prod these projects so that they, you know, actually get some folks to use it. Because yeah. you know, the, the the one owner of a telephone is not really going to get much value out of that telephone. Right. No, it's something that definitely has to be out there before you can actually get. But some of it, I think you could you could use. You know, some of the things like you know, if you do manage to find some way to to share your photos or to to do your you know your identica status net posting and things, um, those can go out without needing other people on the same box. But it's definitely the more people you know, the the the, the more more the software should advance to meet the needs of the of the larger community. 
But so definitely check out the site. It's on uh, wikidebianorg slash freedombox. We'll have a link in the show notes for it, along with the, a couple links with uh, some uh, information on the original talk and, and some other notes from some people on it. Um, it kind of got a lot of pub, uh, publicity out of there, and it was I think it was pretty much seemed to be the uh, the the champion idea coming out of DevConf this year, which is kind of interesting because I don't often track DevConf and see such you know big far-reaching ideas coming out of it. Yeah, it's definitely something that I'm going to check out and uh, hopefully participate. Um, and then the other thing that led me to was that there was a, a post on the Planet Today talking about Debian-powered web applications. And they were taking this another step, not just for the apps you might use for things, but this the particular example here was a Gravatar. Um, again, we're using... You might use P2P where you would upload a avatar image, which is hashed by your ID, and everyone is mirroring it across. This would be a perfect fit for the Freedom Boxes where everyone's kind of mirroring everybody's Gravatar information or Gravatar replacement information across their Freedom Boxes to act as a built-in like uh, content delivery network or CDN for those images uh, across the web. Um, and so the idea is there's definitely a lot of those type of ideas coming out of the Debian community right now. What's great is that they're not really just Debian community ideas. These things apply to all of, you know, free and open source software out there. And I would encourage other communities as well, the Fedora people, you know, the Ubuntu guys, everyone to kind of get involved and see where they could step up. All right, finally, I don't know if you saw this. I, I posted a link that I run across somewhere in my RSS travels about is it the golden is today the current uh, you know time frame, the golden age of open source. And it got me really thinking because I, I don't really consider it the golden age of open source. The golden age I kind of put back as you know when things kind of started back in colleges when it was truly just people and software and it was you know all open and it was about you know defeating the big bad guy. And today, well, define, though... Define what it is that they're talking about as far as the golden age of open source. Well, and that's... The, the, their question was, was they, they kind of set up like there's open source 1.0, which they're talking about you had individuals in communities with academia working on key projects. You know, the, the, the big time originals, the Linux kernel, GNU, Apache. Then they have open source 2.0, which is where the vendors are beginning to work with the communities and they're trying to work on, you know, getting their software to run on things like Linux and Apache and to take advantage of those things. And you and you get players such as like the IBMs and Suns and HPs being interested in open source, not particularly for the open source, but just as a, you know, to help build their stacks on. And today, though, it seems very different where you get things like, you know, VirtualBox or, you know, other where, where the software is, you know, really out there and, and it's very community driven and you have a lot of company and community working together as one. I kind of look at a lot, like a lot of the, um, you know, the Zabbix and the um, the monitoring software things, you know, basically I, I would probably consider a lot of the um, open core stuff. You know, where basically you're trying to get the community and the companies to work together. The companies are trying to make money, but they're trying to be open. And then there's a lot more, you know, it's much more prevalent these days. Um, all companies are using open source underneath. And so 
I guess the question was just like, you know, would you consider this the golden age where open source is just so prevalent across all markets? Um, I would say that the, if you if you want to call it the golden age, and I, I think to be honest, whenever someone talks about the golden age, it's that they're talking about it in the past, as though it's some kind of a nostalgia trip. Uh, that you know we we have now entered the golden age, and it can't get much better. I think we've entered the the maturity age, if you will, of open source, where people don't think don't they don't give a second thought to open sourcing a key technology. I mean, if you take a look at someone like Facebook with Hadoop, or um, uh, you know the Apache Foundation with CouchDB, or any of these other you know SQL databases, there's no question of opening up this technology and having other folks poke at it and and <coughs> use it as they want to use it. And that's to to think that you know there was a point in time where we had to convince folks like IBM and other companies and I use we in as in the open source community not me as you know giving a a call to IBM and saying hey would you open source that and they said yes Craig we'll do that. Um but when we can get as a community we can get folks to open up their technology and they don't even think about it anymore that's really to me a maturity of the whole idea of the op- of open source and if that's a golden age well then you know i guess it's a golden age yeah it's definitely a a more interesting mix of things these days and and um you know when you when you look at companies i guess my only problem is that too often you see the companies throwing uh, their software out and you know calling it open source and trying to help build a community around it, <clears throat> not just because that's you know the right thing to do, but it's because it's a, a last ditch effort to maintain uh, to be competitive somehow or to, to try to fight for that last breath for, before their product goes under. You know, or some I, kind of a stupid marketing gimmick that they you know think, hey, well you know we're an open source company, you know much like your parents you know coming into your room trying to rap to you. Yeah, I look at a lot of the open core stuff in that light, where there it's a marketing gimmick, and it's the you know the old Microsoft model of give them some of it for free because if you get them hooked on it, then you can you know get them up the food chain later. Um, right, but if there's if the source is open and I mean truly open, where the license allows folks to do things like fork the code and such, then you know even if it is a Trojan horse, if you will, where they're trying to get folks to you know, take the first hit, if you will, and then suddenly become addicted to the software. Is that such a bad thing? You know, to get people so that they will, you know, run with the run with the technology on their own and say, okay, well, you know, you gave us this code, we're going to go off and we're going to do really cool things with it. And then maybe we'll come back together, maybe we won't. Who knows? Oh, yeah, it's it, it bears some interest, but it just it raised a good question. You know, you kind of think about the various ages of open source and where we're at and where we're headed, and and a good look back at like you know where we've been. So I, I definitely think it was a good article. We'll have the link in the show notes, and uh, you know, let us know what you think. Like, do you think this today is a the a golden age of open source, or do you see better things coming, or maybe it's all doom and gloom ahead from here now that the corporations are firmly involved. I think it's honestly we're we're not anywhere near the nadir of what we're going to accomplish. <laughs> we can definitely hope. We can improve. <laughs> we can be built stronger, faster. Now, if only we can get million dollars. <laughs> if only we can get some company to fork up six million bucks to start with venture capital, right? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> That's all I'm saying. 
All right, let's uh, move on to events. Now that Pi Ohio is behind us, that leaves us with our regular of saying that Ohio Linux Fest is coming up September 10th through 12th, and that is coming in a hurry, less than a month away. Yeah, and it sounds like a lot of fun, a lot of good speakers uh, getting their talks in. Did you have your talk in yet? I didn't submit one for it this year. It actually snuck up on me too much. They extended the deadline, and I meant to submit one, and I never got to it. I was too busy working on uh, some other stuff. So shall same disgust. Uh, but speaking of submitting talks, CodeMash, which is a another Ohio-based but multi-language programming conference. Why now, is all the conferences in Ohio, by the way? You know, what, you know what's funny is that I know a lot of people that work on this, and they're in Michigan. And I think the main thing about Ohio is that they get people from Indiana, from, you know, surrounding states will go to Ohio, whereas I think if they had to go through Ohio to Michigan, they wouldn't make it. So I, I, I will say... it's just say, Michigan prejudice. That's all it is. Yes. They all hate us, and probably for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm. they opened up uh, submissions today. You can submit your talks to them uh, via their website at comash.org. The conference is January 12th through 14th, and I've been went to this one like three years in a row, and then I've taken the last couple of years off, and I'm kind of missing it. The uh, It's a great developer-centric conference. It has a lot for Ruby developers and .NET developers and a little Java as well. I kind of always felt like the Python and you know PHP world when I was doing PHP was a little underappreciated during the conference, so that's kind of why I felt okay taking a couple of years off, but... Uh, I'm 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 getting the itch. So I'm thinking about trying to submit something to talk about this year. Maybe I can help boost the the Python uh, you know presence there this year. Sounds like good. Sounds like a good winner. All righty, book time. And I am going to bow out gracefully because I have been having entirely too much fun doing fun reading and not any technical reading or not much at all. I did snag the Art of Community and a copy of Beautiful Data. Um, that was beautiful data. I I, though I read one chapter because I work for a market research company, and there was one chapter that I happened to run into that I saw that was based about how to handle constructing a survey um, experience for the user that you get more, you know, more people finish the survey, more people take part, uh, and so that I wanted to really check that out because I, I found that was really interesting. Um, so I. I didn't realize at first, I didn't realize what it was about, beautiful data, like, you know, what kind of data and whatnot. Come to find out, it's really about collecting and getting, you know, getting users to input data and, and, and all that kind of the work about, I don't know, about tricking the user or, you know, you know, I don't know. I've got a lot more to read on that. So I will bring that back up once I get through it some more. That's definitely on my to-do list this next week and in and, and the future here. Cool. Well, I have, uh, I've been recently laid off. So I have had a lot of reading time, and <laughs> I managed to get through uh, Lynchpin by Seth Godin. Uh, the full title is Lynchpin, Are You Indispensable? And what it talks about is uh, the new economy that we live in. Uh, the economy of our parents was pretty much that of going to factories and making stuff. And the economy now, since we have all this wonderful Internet technology, is that of a gift economy. And the idea is to... Uh, create art in this new community and distribute that art and do so willingly uh, and freely uh, without you know thought of, of being uh, remunerated for it. So it's a very interesting book. It's one that's been very um, oh and and also uh, in doing your art in that and by art he means you know going above and beyond uh, the normal call of duty if you will. So, like being a stewardess and being 
that person that makes the flight that much better. Uh, he calls that person a linchpin. Uh, and he talks also about resistance, and the resistance being the lizard brain, the, the part of our brain that wants us to be nice and cozy and don't rock the boat and such. Uh, this is a very, very interesting book, uh, one that has given me some interesting thoughts, if you will, about uh, my whole job search and what I want to be looking for in my next company. And um, so I highly recommend it. Um, the name of the book again, Lynchpin, Are You Indispensable? by Seth Godin. Uh, it's available in hardback right now. I'm not sure when it's going to come out in paperback, but we'll see. And there you go. And, and you heard it, folks. Craig's out there is for hire. So the bidding starts. Uh, I'll be taking offers at my address here. I'm, I'm going to be his manager. And, uh, I'll be putting myself up on eBay and Craigslist. <laughs> and Craigslist, yeah. i I got to figure out how to get my 5% cut in here somehow. Pimping ain't easy. <laughs> All right. And so... I have a side note for today. Um, one of the things that Pi Ohio brought to my attention is that you know every time I go to these conferences, I tend to have side open space things on things that I'm really passionate about, like my use of ZSH for a bash alternative and my my Vim love affair uh, and some things like that. I'm a, I'm a big tiling window manager fan. And so people are oftentimes, I mean, all these things are really well attended and seem to get really good reviews when I have these. People are really interested in, in how I'm doing things and what tricks and things we're using for that. And so I decided, you know what, I should do some screencasts, right? I, I, I talked to the wife and let me buy this microphone. I need to use it more. So I'm going to go through and start recording a, a few, you know, short YouTube-ish uh, screencasts. The first one I've got some notes together here for is for Vim working with splits. And you'll see that in the Lococast feed. I'm just going to go ahead and put it all up together like, uh, with the, the podcast as it is now. So keep an eye out for it and check it out and let it, let me know what you think. And if there's anything that you're interested or particularly, you know, wanting to see something for. And I'll hopefully try to get those out on some kind of regular interval coming up. And if you haven't watched Rick in motion doing his work, it's like watching Bruce Lee kick ass. All with a it's keyboard. Just amazing, amazing stuff. Keyboard ass kicking, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Death to mice. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for our first try back after our nice little hiatus. Uh, I'm a little warmed up. We'll hopefully do better about doing this again next week. What do you think? Sounds like a plan to me. All right, I'm Rick Harding for Lococast.net. I'm Craig Maloney, and uh, we'd like to thank you for not allowing us to apologize for our absence. <laughs>